Welcome to the Tim Moen Show. I am Tim Moen. I hope you guys are doing fantastic. I hope you're doing wonderful. I hope that despite everything that's happening in the world, you're doing great. Despite all the things that our leaders are doing, and by I put leaders in scare quotes because, uh, you know, I have a particular view of leadership that uh, requires voluntary followers, uh, but uh, obviously our leaders aren't... Uh, we're not voluntarily following them. We're basically, let, let's just say the ruling classes. Okay. Now my question for you and the question that's been on my mind of late is are our ruling classes, the people that inflict all this pain and suffering on us, are they malicious or are they incompetent? And that was the, uh, that was the question posed by an article that raised a lot of discussion in a chat group. I'm a part of on, on signal. Uh, the article is called is ha or why Hanlon's razor is wrong, and they probably are out to get you. Uh, Hanlon's razor is uh, never attribute to malice, that which can is adequately explained by stupidity or incompetence. So, uh, to discuss this article, I brought on our my friend and yours, good old David Birnbaum. David, welcome back to the Tim Moen Show. Thanks for joining me to discuss this. Hey Tim, thanks for having me. How have things been going, David? What's what's going on with you? What's new with you? Uh, things are going pretty well. I'm excited to talk about this. Um, I've just been figuring out how to get back out there, what channels I want to be a part of, if I want to relaunch BTM Media or or BTM Media's shows or anything like that. Right. Yeah. And uh, after this podcast is, uh, we're recording this, but uh, it, right after we're done recording, we're going to try something new. We're going to try Clubhouse out. For the first yep. time, David and I are going to try uh, to, to broadcast on there. And Clubhouse is, I don't know much about it. I've never used it. I downloaded it, I think, a couple of years ago when it first came out. But it seemed interesting at the time because it, it let you drop into different rooms and listen to discussions that were going on. And you could par actually participate in the discussions. You could raise your hand, I think, or do something. And then, you know, they'd actually let you speak in the discussion. So it'd be like being part yep. of a podcast or live stream but one where the listener could actually jump into and be a part of the conversation and so that, that sounds kind of exciting to me we're going to give this a try you know we have to figure out how it works how to promote it how to like all the ins and outs of it how how it's going to work but uh, i'm excited to give it a try to give you folks out there in tim moen show land a chance to actually be part of the discussion uh it would it, you know it'd be nice right like if, if we're doing, I like doing live streams, for example, and they've been, they allow some engagement. Like you can type in a question on whatever social media site you're listening to and you can, and we can see it and we can address it, but you don't actually get to join us on the panel, so to speak, and, and discuss in real time with us while the rest of the audience is listening. And that's what Clubhouse apparently allows us to do. So I'm excited to give that a try and see how it goes. Uh, you know, we'll explore all these media types. And the other thing too, audience, I want to let you know is uh, I, I'm thinking about doing at least one pod or, or one live stream a month that you just to promote engagement. I want to hear from you guys. I want to hear what your, your ideas are. I want to feel some pushback. I know I'm wrong about some things. I must be right. I can't be perfect, even though I think I probably am, but I've been wrong before. So it's likely that I'm wrong again. So you can challenge me and you can, you know, jump on and, and just be engaged. So anyways, David, thanks for uh, jumping on. Uh, let's, yeah, no worries. let's dive. <laughs> Sorry. I still have this lingering cough. I don't know whether it's from the vaccine or COVID or something else, but uh, I guess it depends what political camp you're in, right, David? Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, 
All right. So should we just like read this article and kind of pick it apart as we read or or what? Do you well, want so to I'm do? glad you first brought up uh, what a leader is. You sort of defined it because that was my initial skepticism was right. like I read. I didn't read the whole article. I tried to read it and I just thought he was sort of went in with his premise, which I disagreed with. Right. He's arguing right. that leaders are malicious. Um, and. Just in terms of where I would want to start the framing of the conversation would be you brought you bring up a lot the idea of natural incentives in the state, right? And so right. I think the the different the, the differentiation that I think is important to make with respect to his full argument in the article about the systems, like one of the examples he brings up is multiculturalism. And so you have to differentiate the leaders who try and convince you of this policy versus the uh he said voters don't support it in his example, but there are people working for the leaders, working for the state who implement it, right? And so I think that's the thing that comes to mind first is just with respect to, um, he says it's either maliciousness, ignorance, or indifference, um, how those each relate to the idea that there are just natural incentives for the state to grow itself and it needs things to do. Right. That's... Sort well, yeah, and, and and that's been my that was my thinking too when I looked at it. Like, both things are wrong. It's they're neither malicious nor incompetent. Uh, they're very competent at playing the game of statism, and and you know, so so for example, let's let's take an example of a policy that had really bad outcomes. That was that was just terrible. Okay, let's let's talk about just COVID, uh, the COVID regime. Let's call it right that. The, this idea that we need to lock down, that we need to mask up, that we need to force vaccines on everyone, all these public health measures, so to speak. Um, was that malicious or was that incompetent? And I would argue it was neither. Obviously, it didn't work. Obviously, it had really bad consequences. But, um, you know, it, it was, it, it was be, the decisions that were made were because the people making those decisions were playing the game of statism very competently. If they did nothing, they would have been out on their ass, right? They, they would have been destroyed by a, a panicked public, an anxious public. So, you know, uh, the, the, the two weeks to flatten the curve turned into more because the, the, the anxiety never went away. The fear mongering never went away. The, you know, and so you have uh, the public that is very, anxious and 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 i know this for a fact because here in alberta you know we had a conservative government and we had jason kenney uh was our premier and you know i had a friend who's an mla and who was in on these you know inner kind of private caucus meetings with his with jason kenney and others where they were talking about covid policy and what to do about it and um you know there was some pushback okay like why are we doing this like why and and his answer was always the same. Well, I don't want to be the premier with the highest death count. Okay. Now, okay. <laughs> I mean, he, he's looking at this from a, a, a self-interested risk management perspective, right? From his perspective, if his province has more deaths than the other and he's done nothing, then that's very risky. That means his job is threatened. His livelihood is threatened. His prestige, his power, all that, those things are threatened. So his, his calculus isn't what's in the public's best interest or what, what's going to be the best logical policy to apply to this complex problem that's going to get us through it. It's 
self-preservation. It's what is going to get Jason Kenny through this in the least, in the best way possible. And that's the calculation he's making. And he's making it competently because if he were to say, I'm doing nothing, he would get excoriated by his opponents. The the people on the other side of the aisle would would raise a stink about it. Would raise up the would would scaremonger the public into you know because again it's in their best interest to get Kenny out and get themselves in. So so they they would whip up fear. So so again, these people are playing the the, the game competently or as competently as they can. I, I mean, I don't think I could play it more competently. Like if, if you mm -hmm. or I were to be in Jason Kenny's position, I I'd like to think I'd do the principal thing. I do absolutely nothing. I, I, you know, well, I I'd legalize healthcare for one thing so that we'd have more yeah. abundance of healthcare to deal with an influx of patients. I, I might uh, give everyone huge tax rebates. Like your, your last two or three years of income tax, we're going to refund you all that money that we took from you so that you can make decisions for yourself with your own money to help you manage your risks based on your own decisions, right? You can choose to go to work or stay at home. You've got the money that, that we stole from you. Here's it back. We, we could do some things like that, like reverse some of the harm we did to make the system more redundant. But guess what? If I, if you or I did that, we'd be out on our ass very quickly. We wouldn't right. be in those positions. We would be incompetent, right, in terms of the game that we actually were playing called statism. We might be competent in terms of actual policy, but that's not the game we're playing. We're not playing what's the best policy for the people or the public. We're playing what's the best decision for me that's going to get me navigate the system given the rules of the game. Don't hate the player, hate the game. Right. And so I think that's why um, the article pushes towards the idea of malice then, because they right. are successful at what they allegedly want to do. Right. Um, so, right. They're not stupid at it. Right. right? Jason right. Kenney right. has a goal to get reelected. He, if he was stupid, he'd do random stuff that the people didn't net have comfort towards and he'd right. end up out on his butt. Right. And that's why I liked your, um, I liked you bringing up like your definition of leader and we could get into that again because it's our leaders malicious and okay there's something about them being it's it's difficult to know when they have specific goals in mind right because the idea is they think they're helping right so it brings up to me the idea of the road to hell is paved with good intentions right each of these leaders that have power like they can be malicious or not. And if their goal is just to hold power, they can in their own mind weigh the net like problems of the masses versus their desire to hold power in a malicious or stupid way, right? And so that's why this article does hit on this good point of he's claiming it's one of those two or maybe indifference. Um, right. I think indifference is more the rote people underneath the leaders. The actual leaders aren't indifferent to being in power. No. Right? They want it. <laughs> They're highly right? so motivated. He, yeah. So they, yeah. he puts forward that it's indifference. But I don't think the leaders um, would be indifferent because they really care to keep their power. Right. And, you know, the other thing that might be interesting to do is, is define what is malice, right? Because so, for example, uh, if I'm doing something in my self-interest and... I, and it knowingly harms someone else. Is that maliciousness or is it something like callousness or something like that? Well, maybe, I, I, but I, I think I have a higher standard for maliciousness. I, it has to be something like, you know, the desire to 
like so, something that has sadism in the mix, right? Uh, uh, the desire to actually harm someone. So I think of school shooters and the nihilistic kind of worldview they have of burn it all down around me, including myself kind of thing. And <clears throat> that to me is kind of malicious or like, you know, the, the intent there is to actually cause harm. That's what I think of when I think of maliciousness. And I don't think that's what's happening here. I think maybe indifference is the right word because it's like, okay, I don't care if I'm causing harm to other people as long as I'm okay. As long as, and if I, if, if my policies are good, that's great. If they're bad, who cares? Either, either way, the policy is all designed around me and I could care less. I'm indifferent to what's going on with the actual people I'm supposed to be serving. But I actually think it, it might be even, it might be even something different than indifference because you know, I, I'm remembering, I, I remember watching this Noam Chomsky interview where he's talking about, um, you know, how the media is complicit in manufacturing consent uh, to be governed or something like that. And the reporter's pushing back. He's like saying, basically saying, are you saying that I'm trying to manufacture consent here and that I'm, I'm, I'm doing this intentionally? And, and Noam Chomsky said something like, no, I'm saying that you wouldn't even have your job unless you were believed you were doing what you were doing was good. And, and, um, by virtue of that, you're manufacturing consent. In other words, you believe in the system of manufacturing consent and you don't see anything wrong with it. And you actually think you're doing a great good. Right. And so I think the, what I'm saying is these politicians actually likely believe that they are, what they're doing is for the greater good. You know, mm. they, they might have to do crack a few eggs to make that omelet that's a, that's a kind of a utilitarian calculus they make like, okay, I know this little thing I got to do is a little bit harmful, but it's for the greater good. There's something better that's going to be served by this. So I think that not only are they self-interested, but their self-interest also probably aligns with what they think of as the greater good, or they might not be in that position to begin with. Right. And I think the idea to touch on is that socialism spread in the post-World War II era Right. And so all of these people, what is the nature of the state? What should it do at all? They're influenced that, well, it needs to do something. It should maybe do a lot. Right. Um, to counter uh, Noam Chomsky's argument, it would have to be a bunch of libertarians as the only people doing news. And all they said is, hey, anyone who claims they're in government, why are you doing anything? Why are you doing anything versus um, manufacturing consent of this is what the government's doing and it's nice, don't you know? And then it just becomes, well, what exactly are they doing? Right. Right. Um, yeah. Right. And, and I mean, look, if you are, you know, th this is, I can't remember the name of the psychological phenomena, but basically it, it's, you convince yourself that what you're doing is good. Um, kind of ex post facto, right? So if you enter the media, well, and, so yeah, can I, Go, yeah, yeah. So I don't want to say, Expo, I don't agree with the ex post facto part because that implies that like each time you think you're doing good, um, you rationalize afterwards where it's sort of more like child soldiers, right? The first time they, they're pushed to do something and then they ex post facto say it was good and then it, they don't think about it again, right? right? So it's the first year or less, oh no, this must have been good. And then it's just how I am versus each time going into it and right. then that that's more tending towards malice, right? They, but like not right. that many people go into work every day and think this is bad, right? I'm a hitman. I'm going to go kill someone or something like that. Right. And so it's just this weird, um, right. sorry to interrupt, but it's like, it's, uh, 
getting this buy-in, right? You said the manufacturing consent is like even just in their own head of why do they have that job in the first place? Right, right. And and actually, you know, a way to look at this, we could look at a concrete example of how this all plays out. Um, I, I remember writing this article once because I, you know, I had taken, I had done a call where we we had had a patient who was in serious life-threatening shortness of breath, okay? They, they were like, our intervention saved this person's life because of our aggressive and competent approach clinical approach to treating this person, getting them to the right destination. All these, all the things we did were just like, we were, you know, kind of high-fiving after the fact of how good we did on this call and like feeling super stoked about having saved a life. That's a pretty big deal. And, and, you know, we feel good about that. That's, that's why we get into this profession in some, well, while we're in the middle of high-fiving out in the ambulance, as we're leaving the hospital, I get a call from a supervisor saying, Hey, just so you know, we just had a complaint lodged against you by the charge nurse at, at the hospital. And we're like, what? Well, apparently we were wearing the wrong type, type of mask given the patient's, you know, rules co- are constantly changing. We were wearing the wrong mask or didn't have our gown tied. It was something stupid, some stupid COVID, like, you know, so in other words, <laughs> like in a proper system, what you would have is uh, like a kudos and a thank you and a, like, you know, give these boys a a hero cookie or something for the a job well done. But here we have after saving a life, after doing the greatest thing you could do for a person in their most, the worst moment in their life, we're getting dumped on for some weird minor technicality of not following the rule. Now, was that the charge nurse's fault? Was she malicious in, in uh, sending out that complaint? Was she, or was she incompetent? I would, again, I would say neither. I don't, I, I don't necessarily blame her. I say, look, here's what, here's that charge nurse is in a position where she is told by her superiors, your j- primary job, your job is contingent on this, is enforcing COVID policies. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Failure to do this will mean essentially termination. Um, okay, so. What does she do? She looks for any violations of COVID policy and makes that her primary goal, right? Now, why do her superiors have that? Give have they given? Are her superiors malicious in in this, or are they following orders from a political class? Uh, yeah. Jason Kenny and Jason Kenny said very clearly, "I don't want you know people to die on my watch, and I don't I want to keep my job." So Jason Kenny is playing. A, is it Jason Kenny that's malicious here? Okay. No, it's not Jason Kenny that's malicious either necessarily. It's it's he was put there by voters who had clear expectations or some expectations of him, and <clears throat> and he he's in a system where if he doesn't do something, he'll lose his voters um, to J- Rachel Notley, his his opposition, who will make a big deal. So he's making a political calculation based on how he knows. The people will react to propaganda that the opposition puts out or whatever. Now, is it the people's fault that that they're so easily swayed by propaganda and so easily baited by fear and, and that they participate in the system and that they believe so strongly in the state and that it should solve all our problems? Okay, maybe it's there, but is my neighbor malicious? Is my neighbor or is he incompetent? No, again, he's playing a game. So again, here's what I'm saying. I could put myself in the shoes of every single person along that line and and think of the incentives and the pressures that I would face. And I, I, I would be stupid to think that I might act differently. 
except I know I would because this is something I've thought of deeply because one of the things that that got me into the realm of free thinking and eventually libertarianism is realizing and having the the brutal realization that because what happened with me David was was okay I I realized at one point that my entire worldview my entire uh way I interpreted and perceived the world was put there by the, my culture, by the people around me, by my, my pastor, my family, my, the, my community, my public school, all those things. And, and it, had I grown up in another part of the world, in another family, in another culture, my worldview would be completely different. And it's, you know, I like to, th at the time, I like to have thought I, I was a fairly smart dude who could think through things and develop his own worldview. But the reality was, no, I wouldn't. And, and, and then I thought, well, what if I had been born in, or, or I was, you know, in Germany during the Nazis? Would I be a moral hero or would I just kind of go along with culture the way I've been doing my whole life? So I think most people just kind of go along with culture and, and the beliefs that they have and the matrix that they're plugged into. And, and, and so, you know, I like to think that I would, if I were in any of those shoes, I could break out of that. But I, you know, 20 years ago, I don't know that that would have been the case. And I think for most people, that's not the case. They're just kind of plugged into this matrix and they don't challenge it because the, the, the stakes for challenging it are very grave. I mean, if you like, I, that was one of the worst years of my life when, when I unplugged from the matrix, so to speak, and realized that the, the world that I was looking at through these, these uh, matrix eyes that were put there by my programming from around me was not the world that, as it was at all. And now I had to figure out where I was. And, and I literally felt like Neo, like trying to figure out it was dark and gloomy and just miserable trying to wade through. Anyway, sorry, I'm ranting. I don't know if you have any thoughts about what I said. No, I think the main thing that you were aiming at is what is malice and how do you know if some human is malicious? Right. It was the woman who called the uh, mask issue in on you malicious is jason kenny malicious i tend towards likely that woman's more malicious than jason kenny right but it seems to me that in socialist land maybe especially since covid <laughs> more people have been becoming malicious right we can just see yeah. on twitter how malicious some people oh. are right and okay it's the masses the, the debate is are the leaders malicious but you can see that there's masses that are malicious and they support their leaders. And right. so one, I, like based on the article, I would say, at least for the past few years, I'm leaning towards the idea that if it's black or white, are the leaders malicious or not? They at least enable maliciousness. They know their voters are pieces of crap on Twitter, especially right. the far left. Who, If they want votes from the far left at all, they want votes of screaming, rioting people. And that's people who are full of malice, right? right? How each of these leaders then tries to leverage that malice that's blowing out um, in our culture, right? They're not, they're not <laughs> stupid about it, right? We agreed they're not stupid about it. They yeah. are getting reelected. They're not indifferent to it. They want to get elected. And so if it's black or white, are they malicious? They're definitely tending towards the leaders must be malicious or there's something else at play and these guys are just bozo low-level leaders, which is why I keep obsessing over what's a leader, right? Jason yeah. Kenny, he's the leader for now of what? He gets right. replaced and there's still 10,000 bureaucrats enforcing the same policy. Jason Kenny loses his paycheck and Alberta maybe stays the same. Right, right. Uh, yeah, well, you know, 
my definition of a leader is is someone who uh, kind of uh, inspires voluntary followers, right? And and uh, the job, the real job of you know, look, I've got a whole graduate well, degree. I don't leader. think that's his definition of leader. No, of course though, right? not. No, we don't no, have and, 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 like and that's you know, I use the term leader here in the the kind of colloquial sense of you know, our prime minister is our nation's leader. Uh, is he really? It, are people voluntarily following him or are they under his thumb? And is he like a, like a dictator is not a leader to me. He's an right. opposer. He's a right. And so the, the proper goal of, of a leader, a, the proper role is, is to eliminate the need for leadership. Right. So I'm the leader of my children in a sense. Um, now, again, that, that's kind of, a, you know, that, that undermines my definition of leader as a voluntary arrangement because my children didn't have a choice in who was their dad. But that that makes it even more incumbent on me that if I want to be a leader in the family, I have to recognize that fact, respect that fact, and and act as if if they could choose any father in the world, they'd want to choose me. And then my goal is to make them make make their need for my leadership, uh, uh, like eliminate the need for my leadership, right? To to support them and serve them to a point where they are self actualized individuals who don't need me my leadership anymore and can go on to lead their own so that's kind of and that's kind of my view of organizational leadership as well is that the most effective leaders are the ones that are trying to eliminate the need for their leadership but of course that's completely different than the, the political class who is doing the opposite of that what they're trying to do is increase dependency on your so-called leadership well, I think merging your view of leadership with the colloquial term makes sense because I don't fully agree even with your example of your kids, right? Even if your kids are 30, if they ask you for a single piece of advice ever and follow it, you're then leading them still. Sure. Right? Exactly, so the idea yeah. is they want to be able to do as much as they can themselves, but you're older, you have more experience, and they still might look for some leadership from you at all. Absolutely. Right? And, well, so and, and, and it goes both ways, you know, what, like... I look to them for leadership on some areas too, on things that they're, you know, it's like uh, the old Russian anarchist Mikhail Bakunin said, I render unto the shoemaker the authority to make my shoes, right? Um, you know, in, in the realm of shoemaking, I recognize I'm not an expert. Therefore, I, I voluntarily submit to the leadership of uh, the shoemaker here. And so that makes me think like we do live in a division of labor society. And I think perhaps too much of the divided labor then gets monopolized by the state, right? Yes. And so what the leaders of the government are in charge of, people tend to think they're stupid or ignorant because there's 10 trillion things, right? Jason right. Kenney can't possibly be malicious about all 100 things in his portfolio. Right. Maybe right. he, right? So like uh, Dalton McGinty was corrupt about something. Right. Justin Trudeau and Bill Morneau were corrupt about something. So maybe they were malicious once, but they're not generally malicious people. Even right. if one time Trudeau did have a meeting and plan something to help him hold power, people don't net out to want to label some human, especially a would be moral leader as malicious. But that's why this article, I think, says if you have to pick, it's malicious. And I pulled out this one line that I really liked. As long as the ruler is allowed the wiggle room of being thought of as a moron, no moral condemnation can really stick. So right. if you're trying to understand what is badness, <laughs> what is malice, what is evil, um, if you 
like you have to look at actions and people both as separate phenomenon and try and stick onto each of these would-be leaders or alleged leaders the actions they're taking that we deem as ma malicious or not right. but they do so many things that nothing sticks right yeah. and it's hard to condemn them as a person yeah well i mean I, I think the point of this article is to look at what the author saw as destructive policies mass immigration um you know multiculturalism uh um covid policies and, and try to figure out okay are these people just stupid or are they actually do they have evil intent here and and again you know if i were going to I, if i were going to revise hanlon's razor to something like moen's razor it would be something like never attribute to malice or stupidity that which can be uh explained by a player just playing the game competently or something like that you know again don't hit player hate the game now and right. even with like the the thing that um that that you said really spoke to me which is like there's a lot of maliciousness out there you know you see it online you see it everywhere and especially on the left they pr promote this I mean, we will obviously see it on the right as well i mean we we just saw you know um a, a transgender um man shoot up a a school in uh nashville uh kill six people and you know there's there's a lot of hate floating around online about how uh, how christians are evil when it comes to you know so so you know there, there's an environment that provokes malice towards christians let's say in that community um and and, and we, you you pointed out like Rachel Notley and, and, you know, the leftist politicians in the world, I mean, they get more results. It's simply pragmatic for them in playing their game to promote fear, malice, demonization of people on the other side. It's the same with the right. I mean, look, we're seeing more and more conservatives and right-wing folks say like demonize individuals, like the people on the, on the left as, as malicious. It, it works to, to promote, malice amongst people and it's not to say and, and you know we see the same thing by the way and, and look i even will acknowledge i face the same pressures you know when it comes to promoting my my show and my social media and my ideas there's a thing called clickbait and the thing that gets most clicks and that gets most things is something that makes my audience outraged right that provokes a certain negative emotion in people and animus to against something and i want to fight this and i want to fight that person that's the thing that it's going to get me the most success here and so i have to consciously be aware of that and focus on not doing that and in fact you know if there's if there's one goal i have for the show it's it's to try to step back from that that desire to move into the realm of of negativity and one could even call it maliciousness or on the entering that realm of uh, it's not helpful it's harmful to to promote outrage and and focus attention you know so but the, tem the temptation is still there given the game we're, we're locked in and the human psyche yeah with respect to this maliciousness i think you brought up the like right wing versus the left wing and i think that's important to bring up for a couple of reasons i'm actually interested to know if this author uh, views himself as right wing or left wing because you and I have often had differences because I came from a left wing background whereas you came from a more of a right wing background. Um, right. One thing I'll say just for clarity of conscience is I think a lot of these uh, left wingers are also Christian or post Christian 
right? So a lot of the moral views in the mainstream are Christian views. The right wing gets vilified as Christian maliciousness, right? right. But I view the left wing as Christian maliciousness as well. Um, well, it's definitely but, got a lot of the same characteristics as a religion, right? The, the wokeism is, uh, you know, been pointed out by many people as it has all the hallmarks of a religious of religious dogma. Yeah, and, and so in philosophy, it's referred to sometimes as intrinsicism, right? Why they have this. It's this book, the Bible is true. And if you don't agree, you're a sinner, right? So this book called Wokeism is true. And if you don't agree, you're a sinner. You don't know what's good, right? It's good and true, right? Um, and in terms of, like, the reason I'm bringing it up is because with the internet, this sort of just got cut and siloed, right? Before there was the Overton window through TV news that would shift over time, but there's no requirement for that anymore because I can go to any platform <laughs> and talk to people who agree with me, um, whatever my political views are. And that would have just split right wing versus left wing. Um, yeah. Bringing it back to what we talked you know, that, about. Actually, that's a, that's a great point, David, because now there's like, there's not one Overton window anymore, right? There's there's this Overton window over here and this Overton window over here. And there's almost no overlap between them. They're like two, there's separate silos or separate Overton windows, depending which tribe you're part of now, right? It's it's become yeah. balkanized and, and, almost. And if I net out to thinking that right-wingers tend towards libertarianism and smaller government, then they just would be less susceptible to the natural incentives of needing votes from their side because their message hasn't changed as much. Their message is still less taxes, smaller government, less regulations. And like there's no new frenzying around this is the good. This is the good. It's been the same good they've been arguing for however many decades versus right. with this split, the left wing section of it. I mean, skewed that no right wing views could get on TV at all very quickly, it seemed. But their feedback loop that they're susceptible for for their votes shifted super far left because it disconnected from the right wing balancing um, act of it. And right. um, I have another point related to leaders and, and how people view this, which is why I brought it up. I would like to know the uh, author's view because who he views as leaders and how leadership runs this is what you were talking about, Jason, Kenny, or Trudeau. How do we know if they're malicious? But do you have any other? I wanted to bring uh, that up. But well, you know, the one thing I want to bring up was the danger of viewing this from the from the this um, kind of polar opposite lens of malicious versus incompetent is that if it's either of those things, then what all that's needed is to replace the incompetent or malicious leader with a competent and virtuous leader, right? And if we just get a virtuous, competent leader in there, my guy, the guy I support, the Maxime Bernier or the Pierre Polyver or the, the Bernie Sanders or whoever you think is, is the virtuous, competent leader, uh, it, all we have to do is put that guy in there and things will get better, a whole lot better, right? And my point, and I think your point here, is that no, it doesn't matter who you put in there, the incentives and the pressures are the same because of this goddamn system, which is 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 uh, formed by the matrix of ir irrational beliefs of the population, essentially. Right. And that's why you have to um, separate out the people from the actions. Right. You do want a competent, virtuous person to be leader. Right. Um, whether or not that's possible in our view, right. based on the incentive structures, but the actions they take. Right. That's what you then have to assess, because the idea is some there, there was a 
joke or a meme, right? Does politics corrupt absolutely, or do you have to be corrupt to succeed in politics, right? And so it seems like if you say there's malice, then you would need a philosopher, king, virtue, leader, man, versus um, what I was going to bring up is related to, no, there's just this massive system with tens of thousands or millions of people nationally, provincially, and globally, and any of them can be malicious. And if everyone else is incompetent, the malicious people get ahead, right? Right. It's the bystanders who just watch, maybe indifferent, maybe incompetent to, well, this is just a little bit over the line. It's still the greater good. I, this isn't where I would necessarily do it. And they might not even have a sense of it's malicious because it's just by like degrees, 1% more, 1% more. And so that's why if I have to net out to what is the cause of this problem, it's maliciousness, right? But it's thousands of enablers, thousands of bystanders to whoever happens to be malicious. And I think it's really important to realize this is in a global post-World War II world. Right. So we might think in Canada, all 10 premiers and Trudeau are either stupid or indifferent. Right. Not malicious, not Canada, but their indifference and or incompetence enables malicious people from the U.S. to influence them, malicious people from overseas to influence them. And so our leaders, if this guy's left wing or people are left wing listening, maybe they view leaders as U.N. leaders. Right. Maybe they don't think my leader's Trudeau and that's it. Who's the U.N.? They think, wow, I'm so happy to have leadership from the U.N., moral guidance. Right. If I seek advice, I go to the U.N.'s website and they help me understand the world. I don't know if everyone at the U.N. is ignorant or indifferent or there are malicious people from any country pushing their stuff to me, to my leadership. And so, like, because there's this massive global state, right, they want one world, right, leader is all of them and there has to be malice or it doesn't, it feels like there would have to be malice, hmm. right? There's no way that everyone is just incompetent because you're not, I'm not, and yet we can't get our views heard. So they must not want our views because somehow they're anti their power, anti their success. Sure. Yeah. But, but again, I mean, I don't think that, you know, let, let me give you an example, you know, and, and, Look, a lot of people have written about the banality of evil, right? The fact that evil things are often or maybe mostly done by people who are maybe well-intentioned but have the wrong viewpoint of the world or are have an irrational belief system undermining it. And I'll give you an example for me that I still feel bad about to this day. I remember being a camp counselor as a teenager and being having a belief system that if if these kids don't accept Jesus Christ into their heart, they're going to burn and suffer eternal torment. I love these kids. Therefore I'm going to do whatever it takes to save them. And I remember talking to this one kid who wasn't a Christian feeling extremely worried for him, extremely like I wanted to save him from the worst fucking fate imaginable. Right now, was I malicious when I told him that, listen, pal, if you don't get if you don't accept Jesus into your heart, you're going to burn and suffer eternally. Was I malicious in that? No, I would say I wasn't. I did it with love in my heart, but yet that was an evil thing I did. That was a hor- horrifically harmful thing to say to a kid, feel bad about it. And so that could be true for you. You would have been stupid or ignorant or indifferent, not indifferent, right? You would have been ignorant to the truth of what you were saying. But the idea is that thing you did 
came from somewhere else into your head. And at some point there's maliciousness in that train mm. of thought. Maybe your church father was malicious and beat you if you didn't accept <laughs> it. Right. Or maybe there's someone who wanted to rule you. Right. Who wanted you to listen to their rules forever. So you could be ruled. Or, by or maybe David and my perception of it is I was surrounded by people that loved me and wanted to save me from a terrible fate. And they instilled that love. And who were their leaders, Tim? Right. Well, Even I mean, you... how far back do we want to go? Right. I mean, yeah. everyone I knew in that in my church community were none of them were people that I would prescribe describe as malicious in any way, sense, or form. They're the most charitable, loving people, and in most realms of their life, they were an incredible force for positivity in the world. But, but in this one idea, you know, that's like, bias you have. Maybe, maybe. Right. You were in a church community as a good Christian boy, and they were treating you charitably. If I go in as a non-Christian, maybe three quarters of them say, no, you're going to die and burn in hell forever, dude. I'm not even going to give you charity. I don't know how, right? You have no, how no, they that's, treated that's, you. But that's not true. I saw how they treated the people rules. outside. They, they care. You know, that, that was the message always. It was always a, one of love. It was one of love for, for people. And look, my, my mom... I, I, there's, she certainly wasn't malicious towards me. She, you know, so, uh, so it's, for me, it's hard to say, and, and, and this, but, but to me, this is even more disturbing than if, if, if there was true malice there, if there was an evil person or an incompetent person, it's that these people are highly competent. They might even be highly loving. They might even be highly caring or, and, and empathetic. Of course, the left is very empathetic. I don't doubt that a lot of them are empathetic, even though they treat, some people on the right extremely maliciously. Um, I don't believe in their in their heart. I think they believe that they're really empathetic and they see themselves as that. And you know, but yet they they have this idea in their head that is causing them to act outrageously and do things that are harmful. Right, and that's where we started on with both of us sort of disagreeing with the article is that it's the natural incentive <laughs> structures that are yeah. in place. And that people can be well-intentioned and it's a Christian adage or an anti-Christian adage or whatever. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Right. right? We th and, and that's related to the means justify the ends. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that, ends and that brings me, and that brings me kind of to the point or maybe that we could close on, which is look at the end of the day, the most important thing is the man in the mirror, right? It was, it was having the ability to observe your own thoughts and beliefs, recognize how whether they align with actual re objective reality or not uh or whether they were put there by someone else with who knows what intention but fact is to look at your own beliefs examine them and then that gives you actually some free will right it, it gives it, it pulls you out of being this automaton in the matrix that is just an npc playing out a role that that is kind of foisted on you by culture and institutions around you um and and actually break out of that and have the dis you know go through the disorientation of trying to rebuild and and like look at the world through clear eyes objective eyes again and and act appropriately um that I that, that to me i think that really connects in well with you men with what you mentioned about your kids and like how you should make a good leader puts themselves out of business right, right? and so that's the idea is that who does each person view as a leader and why is it even possible that we should care why are there a bunch of people we deem leaders that it matters if they're stupid, if it matters if they're malicious, if it matters if they're indifferent? In theory, we should be more indifferent to one another net total. 
Um, and this is something we often get uh, in trouble with is this global first, not local first mindset, right? If I said, who are your leaders? You go Jason Kenney, not, oh, so the guy who helps me uh, at the fire hall, my kids, right? These right. are the people I go to for moral guidance, a volunteer relationship where they have a bit of a leadership role, yeah. right? And so then it just spirals to, well, my leaders by the premises of the article are every mayor, every councillor, every premier and MPP, every prime minister and MP, and then, okay, the UN as well. So I have tons of leaders versus I don't have that, right? A lot of, I think, young people in particular view that as leadership because maybe they don't have good role models in reality versus well, my leaders were, you know, people I worked with, my boss, whether or not they were a leader, right? And, and this sort of thing. And so when you're talking about global leadership, I think it's better to bring it back to the idea of who, who am I and who do I actually take advice from, right? right? Who we, 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 we could separate it. Me? Yeah, we could separate it out into capital L leader, the people that have kind of a formal title and role and lower L leaders. Like sometimes capital L leaders aren't uh, lowercase L leaders, right? They're, they're mm -hmm. you know, they're just... Uh, dictators or something like that. Anyways, David, uh, we need to wrap up because we need to get to our clubhouse. Um, guys, I'm going to put the links to this article below. I'm also going to put uh, links to my locals page, my Substack page, all the social media thing. Please sign up and join me on my Substack um, and on locals. Uh, there's extra things that go on in those pages. Um, and, and you can, uh, you know, for example, I'm going to be posting articles on my Substack and different things like that. So you can sign up and sign up for that newsletter that I'm going to be putting out and, and the content that I put out. So thanks guys for joining us. And David, thanks for, uh, for coming back on the, uh, the Tim Bowen show. Appreciate having you brother. Thanks for having me.